Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work to get seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we're breaking down the 2023 WGA strike with friend of the pod and TV writer Brandy Nicole. Before we dive in, there is an entertainment community fund that strike leaders are asking for support to, so uh, check the link in the episode notes and on our social media, and make sure that you're selecting film and television from the drop-down menu. But without further ado, Brandy, welcome back! Yay! I'm so glad to be back to talk to you two again! Yay! We're so glad that you're here. It like when when all three of us were on the Zoom, I was like, "Wow, is it 2020 again? This is wild." <laughs> I know, I know, and so much has changed, right. and like so little time, but also it also feels like a very long time at the same time. Absolutely, yeah. So 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 little time, but so much change. Um, so welcome back. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, just to center us in time, everybody, because I'm sure things will change, and we'll do our best to kind of keep the episode timely uh, but we were recording this on uh, May 5th so it's officially what the fourth day of the strike because it started on May 2nd at midnight that's correct yes that's correct. so uh, it started it started May 1st well I guess May- midnight is May- yeah yeah exactly <laughs> I guess, so, yeah. so regardless it's May 5th it's, it's Cinco de Mayo Friday the 5th um, and things obviously haven't changed yet unfortunately um, but I guess, yeah, from from an insider, from someone who's been on the picket lines, Brandy, uh, what 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 do you wish is like the first thing that people understood when this topic comes up? I think the first thing that I want people to understand is that our ask of the studios is beyond reasonable. We what we are asking for collectively is I've heard two different figures. I've heard it's less than 2% and I've also heard it's less than 3%. So even if we go with the higher one and say that it's 3%, it is less than 3% of the profits that these studios are making. And these are profits that they're getting from content that we have created. But the way that the, the TV and film system works here in America, we don't get to keep that copyright. We sell the copyright to studios um, and then what has happened in the past is we got to share in those profits and the way things are nowadays it just doesn't work that way and ah yeah i just wish people realize how little that we're asking for and how so far they have not been willing to give an inch yeah i think that's that's right i think when people see like the figures like the holistic figures like they're asking for x millions of dollars uh people kind of like don't take into context that that's total it's not like individually everyone's asking for 46 mm-hmm. million dollars or oh, whatever <laughs> yeah exactly there, there was one sign that said give up just one yacht you know and that's because um whoever i wish i could credit this person or this outlet but whichever company um made the table that showed the the eight to ten ceos and how the multiple the hundreds of millions of dollars that they're making each year in their salaries and it's like God, you're paying this much money to the CEOs, but the workers, and when I say workers, I mean all of us, the writers, the actors, the directors, um, the laborers who actually do the physical production, we're not seeing that. Mm -hmm. We're not seeing that. 
I am, so I'm a member of WGA East because I am usually based in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I'm also a uh, strike captain, uh, which this is my first time being a captain. And I have to say, I I almost said no, because (laughs) I kind of got roped into it. I asked them for a captain since I wasn't on a show and they were like, Hey, do you want to be one? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, uh, maybe. And, and once they told me what I would need to do, it's, it's essentially just uh, helping to organize folks, which is something thing I do in other avenues so it made sense and I'm so glad I'm so glad that I did because I'm getting so much information I mean I will say this week has been a little too much information <laughs> so I'm, I'm like a little drained but it's helping me to sort of stay in the loop which for me personally that helps me to quell my anxiety about things because at least I know what's going on when it's going on sure. there's still a ton that obviously I can't control and that's the hard part for all of us but I know it's a righteous fight. And when you know that it's a righteous fight, when you know that honestly you, and when I say you, I mean you as in the collective, all of the writers, that we deserve this, that we we create this shit. We create it, we create it. So it makes absolutely no sense that we are being nickeled and dimed at every juncture. And so while I'm saddened that we are in a strike, I really am, and I am, by no means uh, in a financial position to feel at ease during this time, mm-hmm. um, I'm still 100% here for it because otherwise things will just continue to get worse and worse for the worker. No, that's I powerfully said. And I, I, yeah. I saw someone the other day compare like the way that media profiting has is working recently being compared to like the tech boom and like the tech industry where like everyone's obsessed with scale everyone's obsessed with growth but it's like at to what end because it's growth for like two people and all they're doing is like consolidating more wealth at the top for the people who are not doing the labor and it's like all that profits are is stolen labor and Mm -hmm. when you have record profits that you're not sharing with people what the fuck is the point what it what is the point that that was that's so apt it it, it feels like it feels like we're in, we're living in a system of um people who are pushing technology at all costs that they are not factoring in uh what it humanity what it means to be a human and that you know there is a place i'm sure for tv shows that are technology driven that may be that may like cater to the that crowd speaking to those needs but by and large, people turn to entertainment to find comfort, to escape, to find things that they relate to. I mean, we saw that during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We saw that during the pandemic. We were watching so many things to help us get through. And when you strip art of its humanity, you may wind up with something pretty, but it's gonna be shallow because it, 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 there, there's, no, there's no humanity that's built into it and they don't care that that's the as someone who is an artist <laughs> the mind-blowing thing to me they don't give a fuck yeah. they they do not care they they there used to be a time and i have to say you know it wasn't a time that i ever experienced because again i am still a new writer but as a consumer i remember growing up on tv um growing up loving so many different shows that where I felt like the characters were my friends or like people I wanted to hang out with or people I wanted to be or people I hated. But I could tell that there was love and thought and richness and complexity woven into all those stories, which is why it was so compelling. 
And the more that these studios squeeze us by number one, having many rooms where they're hiring less and less writers for less and less times to still generate the same amount of output. Like, honestly, it is no different than when we, when we get upset about warehouses that are happening from Amazon mm -hmm. to, to whatever other companies, it, it, it's the same concept just in a different package where they are trying to squeeze us and have as few people working as possible where people on the lower end like me can barely get in because it is rare that they're even hiring someone on our level and then people on the other end the upper levels are being squeezed because since they don't want to hire the other people on on my level they now have to do the job of three four or five people mm -hmm. because they no longer have the help that they're used to helping and so then the output is not the same and then you don't get the same level of craftsmanship that you should so case in point for example succession not everyone loves succession but it is a well-regarded show mm -hmm. and you know i i personally find it incredibly entertaining i don't relate to those people for <laughs> but i find it very very entertaining and one of the reasons why it works is because they have a full fucking staff they have a staff writer, they have a story editor, they have writers who get to produce their shows. You don't see that. And I'm, I'm sure the showrunner was able to do that because it is such a giant hit, but many showrunners are not afforded that opportunity. And so then as a result, you have this full class of writers who never get a chance to produce. You have some writers, you know, I, I've, I've had to repeat my staff writer level, which sucks to be mm -hmm. quite frank. And we can get into my specifics later. Um, and yet, I'm so grateful to have a job because I have staff writer friends who have been on unemployment for over a year and a half. I have, I know some staff writers who have gone back to being support staff, who've gone back to being uh, assistants or oh who have God. gone back to like door dashing or getting some other type of job because that one job that you felt like was going to be your ticket to breaking in and to then having the chance to climb the TV ladder, it, 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 that doesn't exist anymore. That's that's not a thing. And this is not even to go into the way feature writers, what they deal with. I, I, I don't have any experience in that arena. I've sold one movie, um, but it, it didn't get made. So I didn't get to experience some of the concerns that our feature writers experience. But I will tell you, it is even worse than what the TV writers are going through. Yeah. I'm, so. I mean, it's all about these these CEOs, these executives treating art like a business and forgetting that, like, the money is not the point. The content is the point. Like, nobody loves the TV industry because of how much money it makes. Like, who the fuck cares about that? We care that we get shows like Succession that even if you don't relate to them are, like, works of art. We care because we Absolutely. get to see ourselves on screen in ways that we've never seen before, that we get to understand humanity in a whole different way. And this focus on the business side of things is so backwards. But until Ooh. someone else is in charge or a strike like this forces them to at least cede some of their power, I don't see how we come out of this. Because you're right, Brandy. They don't fucking care. They just don't care. And well, what's also frustrating is that they're not mutually exclusive, right? Like, we're, it's sure. not like by paying people fairly that you're really losing money. Like, they're hoarding mm -hmm. so much wealth. It's disgusting. That That is it right there. You know, business affairs has existed, you know, since I'm sure the dawn of TV, <laughs> because, you know, the fact that we even, the fact that we even make the money that we make now, the fact that we have residuals, the fact that we have pension and health, 
those are not things that were ever given to us. Those are things that we have always had to fight for, that we've always had to strike for, which is which is ridiculous. But it has just become, it's grown to um, a state where it is unsustainable, it is unmanageable. And Christina, you hit the nail on the head. They, they have so much money. Mm -hmm. They have so much money that they, they can actually afford to pay us and still be living fast, mm -hmm. still be rich, high off the hog. But because they because because they no longer are treating us as if we are creative partners, um, they are truly just looking at this as a spreadsheet, and it, it it sucks that we have to use the tool of a strike to even get them to come to the table with something real. And you know, I will say, <laughs> AMPTP they were the first to put out a statement when the talks broke down, they were they were ready. They were ready with their statement of how generous their compensation package was that they were offering. And I am so glad that the Writers Guild immediately put out what our proposals were versus their counters, because as we saw <laughs> time and time and time again, you know, refused our proposal, uh, rejected our proposal, refused to counter, rejected our proposal, refused to counter over and over and over, which tells me you didn't even come to the table. Mm -hmm. What were you doing for six weeks? What were you doing for six weeks? Playing in our faces. That's what you were doing. Saying that we were lucky to have term employment, which by the way, fuck you. I'm sorry that I'm cursing so much, but I'm so, it, 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 it's so, it, it is just amazing to me that someone can build something, someone can write and create something and then you can say that we're lucky to get to have term employment off of shit that we built. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It is amazing in, in the in the worst way. So, you know, the guild has been coming to the table, is still ready to come to the table. Now it is up to the producers. And I'm I'm also glad that at the uh the we had a WJ meeting in, in New York they had one. Um, uh, and in LA, they had one and I'm currently in LA for a room, a room that is on strike. <laughs> uh, and so I went to the guild meeting, um, this past Wednesday and one of the writers asked like, who's the worst offender? And they, they, without hesitation, they said Netflix without hesitation. Mm. And so, you know, that just lets me know again, because they have been hoarding content and not paying us over time, they, they don't care. They don't care. We have to make them care. And this strike is the best way to do that. So let's let's talk about kind of the big sticking points, because obviously this information exists. Adam Conover has done a good job of like, I think he was the one who uh, that I saw at least released the side by side of like proposal refusal to negotiate like side by side, which was very helpful. But like from uh, an outsider's perspective, uh, it seems like the kind of main concerns are mini rooms. AI residuals and how streaming has affected them and then the kind of like higher level yes. turning writers into gig workers uh thing those are the four big things that I've seen have I missed anything in that list those are the first ones that come to my mind as well um so I don't I don't think so because again the, the biggest thing is the fact that you know in our last when this was first brought up a few years ago streaming was considered <laughs> new media you know yeah. it was a wild wild west and so the studios acted as if like we don't know if this will even make money and now we see and not only does it make money it, it it's making a lot of damn money and so i'll give you one like real world example i have a friend who um 
she wrote on a show that originally aired on ABC and then it got moved to Hulu in the middle of the season. And so because she wrote episode eight, her episode aired on Hulu. So her first residual check, had it been, had it aired on ABC, she would have gotten a residual for around $12,000. That's what one of her co-writers, their residual was, who, who aired on ABC. Instead, her residual was something around $1,500, which oh. is not enough money. $1,500? sustain you. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. That's not enough money to sustain you when, again, this particular friend has not worked now for over a year, has been on unemployment, even though she's been hustling and writing and trying to get another opportunity. And that 12000 that she could have gotten if it had aired on broadcast, it's the same work. Mm -hmm. It was the same work. It's the same 50, 50 to 53 pages, however long it was that she wrote. Um, and, and in her case, she actually got to produce on set. So she actually even got to do more work. She produced on set and still, no, that residual was reduced because of where it aired. And that makes, because it's the same amount of work, it, it doesn't make any sense. So streaming is, streaming, on one hand, streaming is the, the, the main sort of juggernaut. And then on the other hand, there is AI. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is AI. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, artificial intelligence is something that in every industry, we know we're going to be contending with it. Um, however, because we all know that AI cannot generate um, original ideas, it can only use copyrighted material that has been fed into its system to then spit out something that answers whatever prompt that you're asking, the Writers Guild wants to ensure that that can never be a replacement for an actual human in a room who deserves a living wage. And they wouldn't even, they, they wouldn't even <laughs> attempt, they wouldn't even attempt anything there. They, I believe their answer was that uh, they agreed to have a meeting about yeah, it was like an annual meeting <laughs> once a year. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. I'm sure that'll take care of it. We don't, we don't, we, yeah, we don't even want to have meetings now. There are so many meetings that could be emails. What, the hell, <laughs> what is that? That was what that when I read that, I was like, oh, you meant to be insulting. You, you were, you were trying mm -hmm. to, you were trying to. That's the only sort of uh, response that I can take away from that because you know, we see the potential that it has to wipe out an entire class of workers mm -hmm. just completely. And and they don't even want to address it. So, yeah. And and going back to the mini rooms, um, the mini rooms, whether that's whether that's for a streaming show or a broad broadcast show, you know, when you have when you have, let's say, let's say on the small end, you only have 10 episodes, right? You have 10 episodes, you can get away with a smaller room. So not a mini room, but a smaller room, maybe seven to eight writers. But when you start doing 14 episodes, some places 22 episodes, and writers are then having to both write, like they're on script, but then they're also supposed to be produced, like being on set or they're doing rewrite. When you're doing multiple jobs and you, you still have to do it for a small amount of time because they don't want to hire you for, you know, more than 10 weeks, sometimes 14 weeks, sometimes 20 weeks, you get burned out because you're burning the candles on both ends. And it's just like, it's not sustainable financially. It's not sustainable physically or mentally. It is from a health perspective. That is not the way to get the best output 
from your workers. It's just not. The system is so broke. It's like with everything that I say, like another thought (laughs) popped into my mind about how this system is so broken. And so I'm really, really glad that the WGA is sticking to its guns. I pray that we continue to do so. Um, I know it's painful. I know it hurts. I know it's scary. And yet, what is the alternative? What is the alternative that we just continue to let them set the course? Because if we do that, none of us, none of us will be career writers. We won't. Mm-hmm. And and that and that's just because we're in the, the WGA's battle. But next month will be DGA, and then SAG-AFTRA, and the next year it's uh, the Teamsters. So it, it, this. All of this shit is coming for all of us. I I will say I was really, really galvanized by the meeting on Wednesday because even though it was a WGA meeting, all of the leaders of all of our sister and brother unions actually not only came, but they spoke, they were fired up. They called it historic. They said this was the first time that all the leadership of all the unions were together in one place and on one accord. So that was amazing to see, but it just also speaks to the fact that like, Yo, it's wild out here. It is so wild that everybody has finally decided to like, hey, we have to stick together. We have the fucking numbers. We have the numbers, but we have to stay together. So it was it was it was really empowering and I just I hope and pray that we can keep this energy alive because we need it. We need it. Right now they have a lot of content in their vault that I know that they are relying on. That is why the picket line is so damn powerful. Um, I was there uh, first two days this week. I'm going back there today when we wrap up this call um, at the at the Warner Brothers gate. But there are places that you can pick it all throughout LA. There are places you can pick it at in New York. And I know we're working on places for people to pick it in Atlanta. Um, one of the main powerful uh, results of a picket is that Teamsters won't cross as long as they're as long as there is a line of writers with signs, they will not cross. And that disrupts production. And because it disrupts production, that means it hurts the AMPTP's profits because they're, they're not able to make their day. And so we have to keep we have to keep exerting pressure in all the ways. And for those of you who are not in um, LA or New York or Atlanta, uh, please continue to amplify us online. Um, you know, if you are able and willing to cancel your Netflix or any other streaming services, that is also appreciated. Um, and I guess most importantly would be to donate to the Entertainment Community Fund, as you all mentioned uh, at the top of this call, because that is the one fund that is not for Guild members. It is for all of the other production workers whose lives are impacted. You know, that is a serious consideration. We don't take that lightly. You know, we are out of work. We understand that that means that some of them will end up being out of work as well. So I know a lot of writers have donated to that fund, um, but anyone can donate to that fund. Just make sure you select film and television. Um, But yeah, I'm just, I could be on a rant for hours. So So before we move on, because I do want to talk about scabbing a little bit, because there's been a lot of like misinformation floating around. Uh, Can you define what a mini room is? And not just because it's not just about like how small the room is, right? Like there's mini rooms are often even more exploitative than that. So can you define like what a mini room is and why it's so dangerous? Sure. So a mini room is a room that employs less amount of writers than a normal room for less amount of money than a normal room for less amount of weeks. 
than a normal room, but still expects the same damn result as a normal room. That is a mini room. Mm -hmm. So from every angle, it's less and less and less. And a lot of writers are accepting it because it's the only work that many companies right now are hiring. Um, it is, it is, it, it's demoralizing. And it's, um, again, from, from the upper level perspective, they have seen their income drop drastically. And then from the lower level perspective, which is the perspective that I can speak on, I can rarely even get my foot into the door of a mini room. Like it, it's really, really rare. And that is because typically because they're hiring less amount of writers, they want writers who are experienced, you know, mm -hmm. they don't want to take a chance on a staff writer or a story editor. If they can only, you know, I won't say can, if they choose to only hire four writers, they want four writers who've been doing this game for a long time. And, and that I understand. Um, but as a result, it just, it squeezes everyone. It squeezes everyone. So that, that is a mini room. Um, Aren't there also circumstances where they, like a, the mini room will commence, people will pitch, but then only one or two of the writers will actually write the script. So even if you're in the room, you don't even get a, oh, a writing credit. Yeah. That That's a thing too, right? That, that is, that is absolutely, that is absolutely a thing. It doesn't happen with every, with every sure, room, okay. but yeah, that is also a thing too, that because it's a mini room, not everyone can get a script and a script fee is typically around $40,000. And so that is a huge chunk of, first of all, that could be the difference between you getting health insurance or not. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, and then it, and then it sucks for, again, the showrunner creator, because then they're the ones who have to write the scripts at the end. And then they're just left sort of having everything, passed off to them and it's their show so they're going to do whatever they can to try to make their show but it it puts them in a really terrible position and then again the art is affected so um many rooms are not oh god they 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 have become the norm and they shouldn't be mm -hmm. they they really they need to go they need to go um your second question was, I believe, about scabbing, right? Yeah. So let's let's yeah. let's transition because I know, like, I've definitely seen people be like, "Ooh, does this mean that like people are hiring?" And it's I've been trying to be like, "No, obviously not." That's if that's what you took away from this strike, then you need to do more research. But it, can you define scabbing for us? Like, what counts as scabbing? Uh, it's so funny too because uh, we just so I have a I have a group chat for I'm in a group chat for all of the WGA East captains. Okay. And they literally just, uh, they, they wanted some clarity on that this morning because Perfect. some people were being accused of being a scab. And uh, what they wrote is that a scab is anyone who performs struck work. So okay. in this case, it is anyone who is performing writing services because we are on a writer's strike. So that is any actor, any director, any producer, anyone, and also, any writer who is writing during this time for a struck company, that is that is a scab. So you can be a member, a WGA member and scab if you decide to write for a company that you're not supposed to be writing for right now. You can also be a non-member. And if you decide that this is your time, that is scabbing. And it's going to hurt you in the long run. I do understand, you know, I understand the where you feel like this could be my big break because it, it, this industry is hard to get into. I, I fully empathize with that, but you are going to shoot yourself in the foot if people get wind of it. They are absolutely 
taking names. I'm already seeing it. They're taking names. Thankfully, it doesn't, it, I'm not seeing a lot of instances, let me be clear. Um, but they are taking names of any uh, purported scabbing and then they do a whole investigation process. And if you have been found to be a scab, you will be barred from membership. If you are already a member and you are found to be a scab, you will be expelled from membership. Um, and for those who you know, don't necessarily want to ever be members, let's say there is a director who chooses to scab, but they're not interested in being a member of WGA, you know, while we can't sanction them, we can publicly shame them. And that has definitely <laughs> been uh, our edict. So, you know, we hope it doesn't come to that. The, the, whole, the whole purpose of a strike is to shut down the pipeline. If we don't want this strike to last long, we have to shut, we have to completely like fucking dismantle the pipe. I was gonna say like turn off the faucet, but we need to dismantle the pipe. Nothing should be going through, coming through, forth here, back, no, no. That is the way to apply the most pressure so that we can end the strike. Because listen, I am, I am. I mean, you guys know, but some in your audience may not, I'm a mother of three. I, I don't want the strike to last long. These, my children are, are two of them are almost little grown men. Mm -hmm. they, they cost a lot of money to feed them. <laughs> and yet, and yet, and yet I know that the best way to get what we deserve, to get what the workers deserve is to apply the most pressure possible that only happens if we're closing down the pipeline. So I would say to those who um, who want to make the most use of the, the best use of this time, who are not yet members, use this time to write your specs, use this time to write your original material, um, use this time to do that and use this time to either come join us on the picket line or to amplify our message on social media and to network with us. And to, I've, I've, met, I've met quite a few people who are not members, but who are just coming out in solidarity. And it has been wonderful. It's been wonderful. Use it, use, use this time in a way that is going to help you not hurt you because not only will you be hurting our cause, you're going to be hurting yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think something that I don't think people understand, especially if they have never been in a union before or don't know a lot about unions, is that like the reason that it's important to dismantle the pipeline is because you have to shut off their profits that they're not sharing with you. Like usually okay. a strike is a result of some unconscionable behavior on behalf of like the people in charge. And the only way to force them to the negotiating table is to take away the, the, po the power that they've been holding over you because it turns out they don't actually have that much power labor has power that's exactly mm -hmm. that that's exactly it labor labor has all the power which is why so many corporations try to try to shut down unions like try to stop mm -hmm. people from unionizing um to begin with because the the labor we we are the workforce we have the numbers and we make the shit that they're selling <laughs> we make mm -hmm. it we make it and so uh, uh yeah we we have to shut down we have to disrupt their production. We have to stop their profits in any way possible. Um, and so that's what we're doing. And we need as many people to join us as possible because again, we know that this impacts so many people, especially in places like LA and New York, where so much of the economy um, is, is dependent on the entertainment industry. We get that, which is why we need you all to join with us to force them to come to the table and to stop hoarding all this damn wealth. Right. Wealth that none of them would have without us. 
Absolutely. Amen. I also just want to clarify really quickly that like uh, writing services is more than just writing a script. It's rewriting. It's improvising or changing lines on set. Like something I was teaching a budgeting class yesterday and like as the strike was going on, I made sure to make this point that like, you know, the writing process doesn't end once you turn in a script. When you're on set, sometimes you realize like, oh shit, this thing isn't working. We need to rewrite this line or hey, can we write this scene so it takes place in an apartment instead of a bar? And like those are the kinds of things that like maybe don't ping your brain as writing those are writing Mm -hmm. surfaces those are writing creative writing decisions that are owned by a writer and even if you're not a writer yourself if you're making those sorts of creative changes to the script that's providing writing services that's exactly it that is exactly it it's anything the area of story falls under (laughs) the purview of a writer anything in the area of story so you know, some of these productions that have, uh, I can't even say the productions have decided, the producers have decided that certain productions are still going to push through and like, oof, good luck to them. Because the scripts are written, you know, I yeah. <laughs> quote unquote. The, yes, yes, in quotes, <laughs> exactly. Because the scripts are written as if nothing, as if nothing, ch- oh, God, it's, I, I feel for the actors. I, I really do. I feel for the actors who still have to say things that, you know, usually, so here's the thing, like just to speak very briefly about the collaborative process between um, the writers and the cast is, you know, the writers, we have the big picture in mind. We know where this story is going. We don't share that information with the cast, but we know what where things are, where this train is headed. Um, whereas the cast, each cast member is focused on their singular character. And so while we are the gods of the universe, they are the gods of that character. They have to protect that character. And so because of that, there's a beautiful relationship where there are things that we may not catch about that character that they catch because mm-hmm. they're living in that person. Um, and then again, on the, on the other hand, there are things that they don't realize that we want to take that character. And so, you know, we write a script and then there are conversations and then things are changed every time because it's a symbiotic relationship. And now one big factor, one big half of that relationship is cut off. I, I feel I feel for cast, for actors who have to still shoot during this time because... Oof, Without their other half. Is all I can mm-hmm. say. Without their other half. And I know so many of them, majority, the overwhelming majority of them don't want to. They don't want that. They'd rather the productions be paused and they have the same message that we have, which is pay the people who are giving you the content that is making you the massive amount of profit that it's making you. Absolutely. So uh, I do want to transition to talking about you and all the cool stuff you've been doing recently. But uh, just as a final button on like the strike conversations, there has been additional conversation about like other writing services. And so I'm just curious if you can kind of like clarify some things for us. So like screenwriting competitions, how are we feeling? (laughs) Uh, And film festivals. uh, Yes. So it depends on the competition and the film festival. If if it is a competition or fellowship where the uh, reward to the winner prize is meeting and pitching with struck companies, I would caution against submitting to them because um, if you are the winner, 
I, I will say this, like, for example, with the Nichols, um, mm -hmm. I believe by the time they actually announce the winners, it'll be November, I think. <laughs> so so that is one where I would be like, OK, I, I understand you submitting to that, because by the time November gets here, hopefully, prayerfully, they will, you know, have gotten some damn sense and they will have come to the table and we will have reached a deal. Um, but for anything that is happening sooner than that, I wouldn't. I would not waste my money or time and energy on submitting. Um, again, if it is backed by a production company or studio of some sort, this is exactly why Disney just announced uh, yesterday or the day before that they're actually postponing their submissions yeah. for the first time because mm. they don't want to have to deal with that. I had a feeling they were going to do that, yeah. Which was great, mm -hmm. which is, you know, that that that's good. That way, though, again, we're not trying to stop anyone from breaking in we're actually trying to create a path so that when you break in you will you will actually have uh better benefits than what we have like for example one thing that we did agree to is, that that they agreed to is to pay staff writers a script fee which is not something that i received um for my last the last show that i was on i didn't get paid that because it was not in the deal so i'm so happy i'm so happy this is something that the, the guild has been fighting for for years and finally they agreed to that of course, we know they agreed to that because they weren't agreeing to a mm -hmm. lot of stuff. <laughs> so um, at least we have that secured for future staff writers. They that it's because they, if you write a script, you should be paid for that script. Um, so I, again, to, to just put a fine point on it, look who is producing that competition or that fellowship. Look, and, look to see what, um, what the rewards are. Because again, if you're in solidarity with us, we're not we're not put feeding anything into the pipeline that's going to go to struck companies and i will say really quick about film festivals you know i would love to go to austin film festival this year i really would i've only gone once before i had a lovely time uh but if the strike is still going on at that time if they're inviting studio execs which they usually do then i won't be in attendance so they're gonna they, they may end up being in a position where they have to decide if this is truly a writer's conference because mm -hmm. if it is a writer's conference then that should be the number one focus and priority and we can still have a wonderful time because truth be told writers are the ones who hire writers that's the in the overwhelming majority of cases um you're you're getting hired because some writer recommended you to an upper level writer who read you who decided to bring you into their room so um, so I'm going to be watching AFF even for my own, you know, I would love to go. But if we're still on strike and they have a bunch of execs there, I will not be there. And we will also include a list of uh, struck companies in our episode notes and social media as well. The Guild has a, a very solid maintained list of companies and production companies who are struck. Uh, so don't don't worry about having to guess. We, we got you covered. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Okay, so that ends the rage section. <laughs> so yeah, so so now let's let's talk about some joyfulness. So I think the last time that we talked to you on the show, Brandy, I think you might have just been starting happy happy place, happy Oh, happy face. Happy face. Happy yes. Face. Oh, wow. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so you've since oh, since, since then you've been in three rooms, right? You've been a staff writer on three different shows? Um, no, so I've been in, so Happy Face was the first where I was a writer's assistant, but I got to co-write an episode with mm, the other writer's right, assistant. Yes. Um, so then since then, I was a staff writer on season two of Your Honor, which is on Showtime. 
And now, about a month ago, um, I started a staff writer job on an untitled Bosch spinoff that centers around Detective Renee Ballard, and that is uh, through Amazon Freebie. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, Happy Face hasn't aired yet, has it? Or it has it? Uh, <laughs> no, it has not. No, it, it, it has not. And it's it, it falls into one of those things where, like, there was definitely at one point, at a couple of points, they had multiple mini rooms for Happy Face. Things kept getting pushed. Our showrunner has had to do a lot of rewriting on her own mm -hmm. uh, for long stretches of time. And um, the last thing that we heard is, because I actually ran into her on the picket line the other day. I got to meet her for the first time in person because we it was a Zoom room, sure, yeah, which was great. Um, and so it, it was supposed to, we're supposed to air in September, you know, strike notwithstanding mm -hmm. so we'll see we'll see but no which is it's so funny your honor has already aired but happy faces uh, uh it, it still hasn't shot so we'll see so tell us about that how did you get from uh happy face to your honor sure yes yeah. so happy face uh was showrun by jennifer Cacicio. she was a first-time showrunner wonderful decent human being uh love her very much um, but it was a King's production, mm -hmm. Robert and Michelle King, who, yeah. you know, they're known for The Good Wife and The Good Fight and so on and so forth. Um, and so because it was a King's production, the one of their executive producers, Liz Glotzer, um, she is the one who, so she was an EP for Happy Face. And then she asked me if I would like to be a writer's assistant for Your Honor for a mini room. <laughs> And I agreed. And because I was a writer's assistant for a mini room that lasted, I think it was maybe four weeks. It was, again, very, very quick. Um, I then, once once an actual traditional room was greenlit, I got to come on as a writer's assistant for uh, about 12 weeks. And then from there, I was promoted to staff writer. And um, I was supposed to be a staff writer for 14 weeks, but we had a little bit of showrunner turnover and things happening. <laughs> and so as a result, as a result, uh, I ended up being a staff writer there for about 30 weeks, which wow. was awesome. Um, I also got to act in two of the episodes, which was a gift. And, um, and yeah, and so that came from both of those shows being under the King's camp. Got it. Okay. And and so what was it like having your first like staff writer episode, not just co-written episode while you were still writer's assistant? Like, yeah. tell us about that experience. Yeah. Oh, man. It was it, it. Well, I will say, first of all, writing the episode, not even the episode, writing the outline. I got, got very nervous because it was the first time I was doing it by myself. And upon starting it, that blank page, man. Oh, nothing can like freak you out more. It, it's like, even though, even though I had all the beats, you right. know, we broke the outline together as a room, but actually trying to start it, it just felt like, am I ever going to be able to do this? And it took me like three days before I wrote anything and you have a week <laughs> to do it. Um, and then once I like got in the groove, then I was in flow and it was, it was great. And so, yeah, it, it was, it was a process. It was fascinating. Um, it was definitely interesting to see, what I came with versus what stayed and then what didn't stay when the showrunner did uh, put his pass on it, then versus, you know, what the network might have wanted changed and then actually seeing it on air. That is one of, I think, the biggest, my biggest draws to working in TV primarily is just that you get to see your work. You get to see your work. You get to see something that you wrote 
have hundreds of people come together to make it and then it's and then it's online <laughs> or on TV or both. Um, so yeah, it was incredible and it just made me want to do it more. That's amazing. And so is Your Honor getting picked up again? Do you know? I don't know because, so Your Honor is a funny case. Your Honor was supposed to be a limited series, one season, one and done. Sure. Um, but it did so well for the network that they wanted a season two. Um, and so we did a season two and we were told in the middle of season two that this would be it. And now I'm hearing talks and deadline articles that there could be a season three. So, <laughs> you know, who knows? Who knows? We'll see. Maybe perhaps, um, you know, there are definitely some some of the characters. It's funny. You start to pick your favorite characters. And I definitely have a few on that show that I would not mind uh, their storylines continuing on. So so we'll see. Did you mostly, were you in LA for most of that, those 30 weeks or did you split your time? Cause you're obviously regularly based in, in Memphis. I was in Memphis the entire time. Wow. Uh, because it was, yeah, it was a zoom room. So I actually, I got to go to New York uh, while I was in that room and just log in from my hotel room, had a great time. <laughs> uh, I will, I will, I will miss zoom rooms. You know, it definitely, it, it afforded me the ability to, be on that show without um, the financial strain of having to live in two places. So yeah, I got to, it was, it was a gift. I'm very, very thankful for it. So the show that I'm on now is the first show that is in person that I had to actually come out here. And I, I do understand like being now that th this is my first time being in an in-person room, um, happy face was also virtual. So I, I miss, I miss the flexibility of a zoom room. And I understand why an in-person room is preferable because you do, there, there's a lot that you can get from a person's body language that you don't necessarily get over Zoom. And you have a lot more opportunity to bond with your fellow colleagues than you do when it's Zoom. So I, I do get, I miss it, but I do get it. And how did, how did you get to this show from uh, your honor? Well, uh, like I just said a moment ago about writers hiring other writers, uh, one of the upper levels that was in the Your Honor room with me, her name is Kendall Sherwood, she reached out to me because um, she is the co-showrunner of this show, and she, you know, wants to know if I might be interested, uh, and it was funny because, uh, you know, usually it's like, what do you mean, are you interested? Of course I want to work, <laughs> uh, but because it's about a detective, she was like, hey, are, you know, not everyone is interested in working on a cop show. If you're not, I totally understand. And my response to her was, well, you know how vocal I am on social media <laughs> about social justice in general and police brutality, especially. So I just want to make sure I'd actually be helpful in the room because that wouldn't change. Um, and I would understand if the answer was no, but, but to her credit, she was like, that's actually why I thought of you. Um, because I, I you know I would like us to be as thoughtful as we can, um, and to keep these things in mind, you know, and to know that like, whatever we're creating, try to avoid propaganda basically as much as possible anyway. And so, um, in my inner, I did still have to have an interview because it, cause she's a co-showrunner and I, I was not familiar with um, her co-showrunner, uh, Michael Alimo. Um, and so we had an interview and went really, really well. And I was very thankful to get the job. Um, I, ha I have had to like go on a little police rant in the room once before, but um, it, it was well received. It was well received. And so it just feels like, it feels 
like a great space to be in. Um, this particular main character of, of this show works on cold cases, mm -hmm. so they're not on patrol, sure. uh, which I'm thankful for. I think it probably would have been, I don't know if I would have done well on a show that focuses on patrol. You know, I just, I don't know if I would have done well. I don't, I don't know if I would have been helpful in any way, because I feel like I would have been against every damn storyline. Uh, but, but so far, so far, um, I have been digging the creative process and, you know, it's, it's, it's been a joy. That's amazing. I mean, I think we need more writers like you in those sorts of places. Cause like, I, I love detective shows. I love mystery shows. I love procedurals and also watching them in the, the year for Lord 2023 is a different experience than watching them back when I was a teenager. And even though I still love that kind of storytelling and I love the mysteries and the episodic nature of it, boy, howdy, we get away with a lot. And when you look at media as a way to represent the world around you, I don't think that's the way we want to represent that. So I would love for the detective genre to continue, but I would also love for writers for, like you to be in the writer's room for them. Perhaps. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's that is um, we are always keeping that at the forefront of our minds and in our discussion. I mean, one of the things that I'm excited about with this show is that it centers around a lead who is AAPI, a, a woman who is AAPI. Um, and then number two on the call, she is a black woman. <laughs> uh, then we have a Latinx woman. It, it, so it's it is the it, it's the it's the best sort of scenario that I could have asked for. And then the, the sorts of stories that we've, we've already started, started to like bandy about. I'm, I'm very excited about the possibilities. Um, I'm very grateful that the showrunners, you know, acknowledge that we all have blind spots and they have an open door policy for, you know, if we ever want to talk to them and they've actually already brought each of us in to like do check-ins. It's just, you don't, I would like to see more of that <laughs> across the board. I, I would like this to not be rare, but I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful because not every room has, has been that way. So I'm very thankful to have that. That's amazing. And I, and I hope that all of you get a, a living wage out of it. Cause this is <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, uh, exactly. That would, that would be, like, that's, that is the goal. Right. That like is the, goal. the gig worker of it all, like, I don't think any job should be gig workers because like if you're doing work, you should be paid and be able to live off of that. Like we don't work for fun, even if it's fun work. We work so we can pay for our expensive apartments by the Warner Brothers lots. We, we <laughs> do it so we can raise our three children, two of whom are grown men and hard to feed. You know, like the, yeah. <laughs> like we cannot divorce the reality of the point of work is to live. And it is bizarre to me that, you know, oh, you should be so lucky. Like, no, you're lucky that we are making you so rich. Give us a little yeah. bit. <laughs> Let us pay for our apartments. Yeah. You can keep being rich. Well, for now. That's a that's a different <laughs> fight. <laughs> Again, that that is a thing. It's like, listen, I, I understand people want to be wealthy. Hell, I want to be wealthy, but not at the expense of exploiting other people. And and that is what is happening. It is exploitation. It it may not seem that way because of the fact that we're in a writer's room and so it's looked at in a different regard. Mm -hmm. But that's exactly what's happening when you when you think about how much we're being paid versus the money that it generates. It it, it just does not it doesn't add up. And then also the amount of weeks that we'll work 
in a year. Um, like one of one of my colleagues in this room, Liz Alper, who uh, is oh, the I've... founder of Pay Up Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, she's very vocal and she is just as awesome in person. Um, she brought up a really good point that I hadn't considered, which was that, you know, she talked to her reps about like needing to work more and her reps were like, what do you mean? You've done three seasons of television in four years, you're killing it. And her response was something I had never considered, which was that she was like, guys, in 250 weeks of work, I've only worked 40, four zero. And when you look at because of the fact that they're like mini room, when you think of it that way, because when you say three seasons, you've worked on three seasons of TV, that sounds awesome. That sounds amazing. Then when you think about, well, actually, how many weeks out of the year did you work? It is a complete, it tells a different story. And so I don't mind working a gig when I choose to. Like if I want to take a musician gig, if I want to do a theater show, if I want to drive, whatever it is, if I'm choosing to do this because I don't want the golden handcuffs, that's one thing, then it's my choice. I don't want that to be forced upon me. And certainly not, certainly not in a profession that traditionally has been a viable career path. It just, that shouldn't exist. A, a gig economy should be something that a person chooses and not because they have no other options, because right. that's not a real choice. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I also think it's worth remembering that, like, even those, like, outside of those 40 weeks that she's actively working, like, how much unpaid work is she doing in between there? Oh, my God. Unpaid <laughs> work for people who are getting paid to meet with her for her unpaid work. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's a, it, th Oh, my gosh. Yes. That That's exactly it. Like. Right now, I, uh, so I am in LA. I am subleasing um, an apartment. It's very expensive. And I've gotten it through June 14th um, because I just figured like, you know, hopefully we'll be done by then. And then I can find another place that's a little bit cheaper to be out here through the duration of my contract. But if we are not, if this strike hasn't ended by then, I'm going home. I'm going home because I can't, manage two households when there's no income coming in. I can barely manage two households when there is, but certainly when there's none, it's just, it's, it is not possible. And so I'm planning to use this time to work on my own personal stuff, just to, just to make the most use of this time because otherwise, um, yeah, it will feel like, otherwise it will feel like I spent, I will tell you, I will just be transparent. It's $2,300 a month for this one bedroom that I this furnished one bedroom. Yeah, um, it's ridiculous. It's a lot of money. <laughs> we live in the lot. same apartment complex, Brandy and I. We just figured this out. And yeah, yeah, I live in a one bedroom, not furnished, and it's not that much cheaper. It's ridiculous yeah. pricing. And, and that is more than the house that I rent in Memphis, Tennessee. And so, mm -hmm. um, uh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I there there's so much that we are asked to do for free for long periods of time. And we are just at a point where we, we, we can't keep doing it. You know, this is why people are quitting. This is why, and especially women, especially people of color, we, we it's, we don't have the luxury. Like I, I even know, I fully admit that the fact that I'm even able to pay for this apartment right now, it is because of my staff writer salary. Um, and I'm still walking on a very thin line. I'm walking on a very thin line with like little room for, you know, a little margin for error. And yet I, I know that 
you know, some, some people don't even have that because it's, this industry is so, uh, it, it's an expensive industry to try to get in and stay in. And that some of that can and should be alleviated by paying us what we're worth. Yeah. So yeah. No, I, I think that that's, that's ultimately what it's about. If they force you to live in a place that's this expensive, they should, at the very least, pay you enough to stay here. And uh, yeah. if they're not willing to do that, then I guess they're not getting any new shows from us. So, yeah. Brandy, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Congratulations yeah, on your career you. so far. It has been such a joy thank watching you, you go from my my remote coworker at a crowdfunding company to <laughs> a kick-ass strike captain and TV writer. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. It's so good to talk to you guys both. I can't wait till we can do it in person. But thank you for having me. We appreciate like all the writers. We really do appreciate everyone's support. All right. Well, thank you so much. Where can people find you online to follow your exploits as we have? Sure. I am on almost every, uh, mostly Instagram, Instagram and Twitter as Creatively Be. And uh, I think my TikTok name is Fire Art and Joy because I talk a lot about organizing and things like that over there oh thank thank you you, brandy thanks so much to kelsey rauber for our theme music kaylee brown for our podcast art and to all of you for listening links to learn more about them are in our episode description and thank you to our booby vips who are our ten dollar supporters on patreon patreon.com slash breaking out pod if you want a shout out at the end of every episode just like our great friends brandy nicole kelsey rauber and norman steinberg